I kind of had to find myself when I was growing up because when I was like at school, I felt too Mexican. And then when I was with my family and like my cousins, I felt too, like too American. Welcome back to the Pokes Podcast. I'm Shady McCosker, and I'm a recruiter here for the College of Arts and Sciences. Just a couple weeks ago, we celebrated Cinco de Mayo with Monse Solorzano as our guest. Monse is a College of Arts and Sciences junior. We discussed her journey to becoming a first-generation student, how OSU's Hispanic Student Association has helped her feel more at home here on campus, and the differences in Cinco de Mayo celebrations in the U.S. versus Mexico. My parents came from Mexico, from Guadalajara. It's from the state of Jalisco, which is a coastal state on the west coast. I still have to think about my directions. <laughs> but um, yeah, they came to the United States when they, when they were in their 20s. They came to Tulsa, and then I was born in 2001, um, and my parents became citizens when I was still in school. And it's like a big part of my childhood because I went to a private school. So there weren't a lot of kids who looked like me growing up. And I remember vividly, whenever my dad became a citizen, they put it on the announcements, like, congratulations to Montes Lorzano to her dad for becoming a United States citizen. You know how people talk about core memories? I think that's one for me because I remember everyone kind of, like, looking at me and everyone was, like, clapping and everyone was smiling. So I was like, this is a big deal. And it didn't really hit me until I was older. My parents didn't get a higher education and they really, really wanted me to, to go to college. And that was what my dad always told me. He was like, whenever I came to the United States, I really wanted to have a kid that would go and get a college education and maybe even beyond that. So my parents really, really wanted me to go to college, but they didn't want me to leave Tulsa. There's like a saying of how you're growing in a pot and you need a bigger pot to grow more in. And that's kind of how I felt. And I explained that to them. And they, they accepted it. They were like, oh, I mean, I we understand. Because we also kind of had to do that in a way. And so I applied to like four different colleges because I didn't think I was going to get accepted to any. It was so, <laughs> I didn't understand why. I think it was maybe like imposter syndrome or something. So I got accepted to all the colleges I applied to. And then I was kind of like, well, this is a bad idea because now I don't know which one I'm supposed to go to. And I toured one of them and that was OSU and it was such like a surreal experience because my parents had never been to a college campus and I really really wanted them to go with me I still didn't know what I was doing at the time because and they didn't either because this was this was something new to to the three of us so my dad ended up closing the shop and he was like okay I'll go with you and we ended up touring and I like the whole time I just had like I remember I was touring and it it was snowing that day and OSU is already like really pretty as is like my my dad was like this is this campus is really really nice and he kept repeating that and I was like so you like it and he was like I wouldn't be opposed if you went here and I was kind of like okay like I'll go here I'll go here and this was I I remember I applied to OSU like in I started my application in July but I held it off and didn't submit it until like October. 
And then once I started touring, I was kind of like, I think this is for a reason. I actually ended up taking sociology in high school, and I didn't like it. It was so weird. Wow. I didn't, I like, I hated it. And then when I, when I came here, my advisor was like, oh, you should take this class. I think it'd be really helpful. And I was like, ah, uh, I didn't like it. But I mean, if you, if you say so, I'll, I'll do it. You're, you probably know better than me. <laughs> so I ended up taking it. And the professor was incredible. They explained things in such an intricate manner because before it's just kind of like, oh, this theory is because of this. And it's kind of like, why do we have to know that, though? And this professor applied it to, like, every single thing that was happening, even in recent times. And then I ended up really, really liking the class. And I told my advisor, I was like, I was undeclared when I came into college. I told her, I was like, I think I kind of want to do sociology. And she's like, really? And I was like, yeah, I ended up really liking it. And I haven't switched or anything since then. And you have a minor in global studies, right? Yeah, okay. I do. And what are you, do you have any plans or do you know what you want to do or what you want to pursue after college? I I would really like to be a professor. Um, kind of one of my mentors here, um, my criminology professor, he has like six degrees and it's insane. I, I, t- like, I tell him all the time, I'm like, I look up to you so much and I kind of want to be like you when, when I'm older. And I would really, really like to be a criminology professor because there's not, there is a lot of women in the criminology field, but I feel like it's not enough. You also do research for the Center for Immigrant Health and Education, is that right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your research there and kind of what you're looking into? Yeah, so um, I originally volunteered for them, and I would kind of help tutor bilingual kids because a lot of there's a lot of kids who come um, from Mexico not knowing any English, and it's really, really hard for them to transition because picking up a language when you're young, that's not the hard part. I think the difficult part about that is having people around you who will like willingly help you and transition you into the new school system because the school system in Mexico is a lot different from here. I was talking with my boss one day, and I mentioned to her that I really, really want to do research, but it's kind of hard to do as an undergrad, especially in sociology, there's there's a lot of opportunities, but they go like that. She held on to that for a long time. And then like a month later, she was like, do you want to do research with us? And I was like, you guys do research? And she's like, yeah, we're doing this research on um, language brokering and shared language erosion. And I kind of looked at her and I was like, I have no idea what you just said. So she explained it to me. And we're doing research right now primarily on shared language erosion, which is essentially when a kid knows English when they come in and that's typically with kids who are born here um, and their parents really really push them to learn English as their first language and then after that it's harder for them to pick up on Spanish and so then the parents only know Spanish and very minimal English and it's hard for them to communicate hard topics like school or um, emotions or just things about like growing up because when you're a teen I think that even though you don't want to accept it, you need your parents. You need you need that support system. The language brokering is a thing we're starting to do right now. And it's super, super interesting because it's kind of dynamics in the family, but more on the sibling side. Because a lot of times one of the siblings will be like the language broker or the translator. And that's kind of like when the other siblings don't know Spanish. So that oldest sibling does it for them. They communicate, like, let's say, like, the youngest kid is like, I need to go buy a poster for a school project. 
but they don't know how to tell that. They don't know how to say that to their to their parents. So then the oldest child goes and tells the parents, hey, so-and-so needs to go buy a poster. And it's kind of like that, but that's like at a very, very simple level. There's obviously more complex conversations than that. Wow. I, I've never thought about how important that would be, not being able to communicate really important subjects with your parents. Mm-hmm. Especially like you were saying with the oldest sibling, because I'm assuming then the oldest sibling is the only sibling who knows any Spanish. Is that right most of the time? Most of the time. Typically there's a, there's sometimes where um, the older kids know enough to communicate, like when, let's say, grandma or grandpa comes over and they ask them, like, how are you doing? And it's like, I'm good. But then past that, it it's very, very hard for them to kind of form more complex sentences and kind of, like, show them, like, hey, um, I actually did this really important thing, and they can't, they don't know how to tell them that. Right. I could see where that could create relationship boundaries, too, and just growing closer with distant relatives like grandparents and aunts and uncles. I could see how that could cause a problem. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, it's really great to hear some of your background. Mm-hmm. I didn't know all that stuff about you, so that's really awesome. You're studying a lot here at OSU. But today is Cinco de Mayo. This episode is coming out a couple of weeks after Cinco de Mayo, but we wanted to get in here today to celebrate uh, this holiday. For the listeners who don't know, Cinco de Mayo is first and foremost not Mexican Independence Day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that is a common misconception. Um, Cinco de Mayo was started, a holiday was started to celebrate the um, victory of the Battle of Puebla. The Mexican army that was fighting the French Empire or what was left of the French Empire, they were really kind of ambushed and they didn't have all the right equipment and they still were victors of that battle. So it's really a story of Mexican pride and some Mexican Americans really see it as kind of a way to celebrate their culture and their heritage And I was just kind of wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your viewpoint of Cinco de Mayo, because it's really misconstrued here in America, here in the States. (laughs) Um, And we really want to touch on the importance of it. So first, thank you so much for doing your research on that. There's, I cannot tell you, I cannot count the amount of times on my hands where I've had to get into it with people and tell them, like, I know you might think it's Mexican Independence Day, but trust me, I would know it's not. And um, Like, you mean people argue with you about it? Yeah, when I was younger, it would happen all the time. Oh, my gosh. Like, when I was in elementary school, I'd tell people, like, it, it would be Cinco de Mayo, and be like, it's not Independence Day for Mexico. And they'd be like, what do you mean? Then what is it? Then what is it for? And I'd be like, Mexican Independence Day isn't until September 16th. And they're like, well, why don't we celebrate it? And I'm like... You tell me, like, you know what I mean? We'd celebrate it, but it would just be like, oh, it's Cinco de Mayo, and the conversation wouldn't move past that. And I think when I was in high school, that's kind of when I started asking my parents, like, why is it celebrated in school, and why do we not celebrate it? Because the most we'll do is just, like, go get tacos because there's a special going on. But we don't we don't do anything. And my parents would tell me, like, well, when we were in school, we would just, um, we'd raise the Mexican flag and they'd tell us like the same story that, that you said about how um, it was really just like 
a victory that was unexpected for the for the Mexican army. And in Mexico, where they're from, it's not celebrated the same way it is in Puebla, because in Puebla, I know they do a very, very big celebration, and they kind of do the same thing where, um, I know at some sites here, where there was a big, um, a big battle, they do like reenactments, they do the same in Puebla. I remember this vividly, I, I would tell them, I think it's kind of weird how we celebrate it at school, but we, at home, you know, we're Mexican, I'm Mexican-American, we don't celebrate it. And they asked me, they were like, do you want to celebrate it? And I'd be like, I, I don't see the point. That's not to say that Cinco de Mayo isn't important, but I think that the context of it has just changed so much because a lot of times people would just be like, oh, Cinco de Mayo, you know, like um, the food, the like, Mexican food is cheap this day, so like, let's go get it. But a lot of people are really uneducated on that. Definitely. Uh even, you know, to me, to be honest, like I was just having a conversation with one of my friends and she's a teacher now and she wanted to do a lesson about Cinco de Mayo in her school or in her classroom. And she was just kind of asking me some questions and we were talking about how we really didn't learn about it in school. Honestly, I, I didn't know. And I remember thinking that it was Independence Day because I equated Fourth of July, fifth of May, yeah. together, and I remember that. And it's crazy to think how misconstrued it can become, um, because you know Carla was just telling me like it's important and it's a big deal in Mexico, but we don't celebrate it as much as it is here. Like yeah. it's just kind of another day. Like all the banks are open, yeah. the schools are open. It's not. Um, it's kind of been commercialized here. So I just want to make sure that everyone knows the true history behind it. <laughs> I, I can imagine how frustrating that is to have to correct people all the time. Yeah. When my parents came to the United States, that's when Cinco de Mayo was becoming really, really, um, I want to say capitalized yeah. in a sense. Because even when you go to like Target, there's a little section or like Walmart, there's like the little sombreros and the, and the maracas and it's kind of like, do you, do you know what you're doing? Like, do you really know what you're doing? And they they came to the United States, and they saw that, and they were like, what is this? Like, why are people doing this? And a lot of times you'll even see people, like, during Cinco de Mayo parties, and they'll be wearing, like, the little sombreros, and, you know, like, the sarapes and stuff like that, and they'll they'll obviously have, like, Mexican food, but it's kind of like whenever I see that, it sits really unwell with me. Because it's like a thin, it's a very, very thin line of like appropriation and appreciation. Yes, definitely. I don't think, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to celebrate it and stuff, but definitely want to know what you're celebrating. Yeah. And um, just kind of know the history behind it because it is, you know, that's a big part of history for Mexico. Like you were saying, it would have, history would have been changed if they hadn't have won that battle that night. Mm -hmm. So definitely something to take into account. So as far as OSU goes and celebrating other holidays, I know that you're a part of the Hispanic Student Association. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Yeah. Okay. Are there other like Mexican holidays or Hispanic or Latino kind of celebrations that you guys hold on campus for your members? Um, 
sometimes we throw something for uh, September 15th and September 16th, which is a lot of, a lot, a lot of uh, Latin American countries have their independence days on that day. Don't quote me on this, but it's, I, I want to say it's like eight countries who have their independence day on that day. Okay. Because I know Honduras does, and obviously Mexico on the 16th, but there's a lot, a lot of independence days on that day, on those days. Sometimes we'll do a cookout. Uh, I know last last year, my friends and I, uh, we hung out and we made tacos and we kind of, we did like a little, um, a little get together. Another holiday we celebrate a lot. And even at home, we celebrate Dia de los Muertos and it's November 1st. And that, that holiday has a lot of importance with uh, Mexican culture because um, it's a day where we remember our loved ones who have passed. Uh, the Hispanic Student Association, I remember vividly one year, they made a little altar and they had people email pictures of their loved ones and they put them up on the altar and then people brought in food because at the altar, it's typical for you to put food that your loved one liked when they were alive. And so you'll put that kind of like to let them know, like, hey, we, we haven't forgotten about you and we still we still are thinking of you. And even though you're not here, you're still present. It's, I think, the movie Coco from Disney that my, my, I watched it with my family and we were all crying because it felt so good to see representation and especially in Disney because I think they, they did Mexican culture really good justice with that movie. That's awesome. Speaking of representation, do you, can you talk on how important it is that the Hispanic Student Association is here on OSU's campus and what that means for Hispanic students coming to OSU? Mm-hmm, definitely. I'm glad you asked because uh, when I came to OSU, Um, I didn't have any friends that were of Hispanic heritage. And then I remember I met someone. I heard him talking in Spanish at the student union. And I kind of like, I remember my head whipped around and I was like, oh, my God. And I like, I told my friend, I was like, that guy was speaking in Spanish. And she was like, well, go talk to him. And so I was like, no, 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 no. And then after five minutes, I was like, okay, I think he walked that way. Let me go see if he's still over there. So I followed him. And I was like, hey, um. I heard you talking in Spanish. And he was like, yeah. And then we started like we started talking. And um, he was like, yeah, I'm a part of the Hispanic Student Association. You should definitely come out. Obviously, I in my head, I figured there's probably Hispanic students who go to OSU. But I didn't know it was that that many. Because when I went to high school, there wasn't a lot of people who were Hispanic. And once I came here, there was a lot. And even even on like the OSU campus, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a large population, but it was definitely a lot bigger than what I was used to or accustomed to. And a lot of my friends, they kind of found that they went to high schools that were very, very Hispanic dominant, if that makes sense. Like there was a lot of kids who were Hispanic and coming to OSU, they didn't have that. So the Hispanic Student Association was kind of like their home away from home. And that's what we like to say a lot. It's our home away from home or that it's our familia, it's our family. And um, the Hispanic Student Association, we they do events. I was on the exec board last year, and the bad thing was it was during COVID, but we still did events and people did still come out. And it's just so nice to see kind of your, obviously they're not blood family, but when you're at a meeting and everyone is laughing, it does feel like family. And it's so nice to see kind of a little piece of your home tucked away here. 
Do you think that having those friends around you impacts your academics? Oh, yeah, 100%. I'm also in a sorority, in a multicultural sorority. I didn't necessarily put 100% of my focus on college because I was still getting used to the new environment. And then once I joined my sorority, they were kind of like, they would notice I'd be like talking a lot. And they'd be like, hey, like, do your homework. And it's like I didn't have siblings growing up. So once I joined like my sorority, a lot of the girls would kind of like encourage me to like do more things and definitely focus on my academics. And a lot of the friends I have now are from the Hispanic Student Association. Actually, everyone, a lot of my friends are. I'd say like 95% of my friends are from the Hispanic Student Association. When we hang out, it's not something social. It's usually we're studying like, we go to the Oak or we go to Aspen or the library. Yeah, they, they definitely helped me kind of, like, put more of my focus on college and to do things that will, like, help me in the future. Definitely. I can imagine, too, just having a group of people who you don't have to explain everything to, who understands these traditions and these values that you share could really impact your mental health while you're at college too. So I just want students who are thinking of coming to OSU maybe, um, who like Hispanic students, to know that there is a group of people around that will be welcoming for you and they want you to join the association. They want you to find success here. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think that um, the Hispanic Student Association is a great way to get involved on campus for sure. I think so too. Okay, well, before we go, I have one last question for you. Can you tell us, in your experience, why are the arts and sciences important? So I think that they really, really complement each other because art in its most literal form, like paintings and stuff like that and writing, it can speak to a lot of people in different ways because someone might just look at it. It's just a painting of, like, a person. But someone else might look at it and be like, no, like, you have to look at her expression. You have to look at the background. You have to look at what she's wearing, her her eyes or what she's looking at. And I think it's really, really important because people have different opinions on how art looks like and also what science looks like. A lot of people really, really like the hard sciences, but some people might like the more nature sciences. I don't know if that exactly answers the question, but I think it's really, really cool to see how diverse that is. Yeah, you're definitely right that they complement each other. It's crazy to think about all the three pillars. You know, we have arts and humanities, social sciences, and math and sciences, and they're all under one college because arts and sciences impact everything in the world. And like you were saying, they really complement each other, and I don't think that one can function without the other. Mm -hmm. So definitely a great answer. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to put this episode out. Uh, to celebrate Cinco de Mayo here on OSU's campus and to congratulate you on finishing all of your uh, finals this week. Thank you. Best of luck. You have one more, right? Yeah, one more on Friday. (laughs) Awesome. Best of luck. Thank Thank you. you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Pokes Podcast. If you would like to contact us, please email pokespodcast at okstate.edu. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Go Pokes.